Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith America podcast. This is volume 100-something. Been a unique couple of weeks here, and I've been all over creation during those couple of weeks, and we are dedicating the bulk of today's show to country music hall of famer, music legend, Charlie Daniels, whom we lost this week. And my dear friend Justin Moore is going to join us in just a few minutes. Charlie is was a great friend to Justin and a great mentor to Justin. And so I felt like he could really offer us perspective, those of us who never had the opportunity to meet Charlie. Some great perspective on Charlie's influence and who he was and everything that he stood for, which if you guys have any understanding whatsoever of Charlie's life, not just his music, but his life. He was extremely passionate about our military, raised a million dollars for veterans with his charity and many other things. And if you talk to any country music artist, all of them that ever had any interaction with him whatsoever, they will tell you he was the kindest man. And I look forward to hearing what Justin had to say about Charlie's influence, not only on music, but also on the musicians that came along after him. And before we get to Justin and my thoughts on Charlie Daniels, do us a favor, I got to say it, please subscribe, rate, and review, because that helps us help the companies that support us, and it gives us an idea of what y'all like, what you may not like, and I have a feeling you're really going to like today's show. Again, in just a few minutes, we're going to be joined by my friend Justin Moore, country music superstar, and someone who loved Charlie Daniels, and you'll hear why. And as far as my thought process on Charlie Daniels, I read his book during the pandemic. Just in just a couple months ago, I read his book at Justin's behest, Never Look at the Empty Seats, and it's such a beautiful walk through Charlie's evolution as a man, as an artist, as a Christian, and everything that he has learned along the way. Charlie was 83 when he passed away, and he just wrote this book a couple years ago. I think it came out in 2017, maybe 2018. I loved learning about his amazing past, and of course, any of y'all who are Southern rock fans or country music fans know his work. His most famous song, most certainly, is The Devil Went Down to Georgia. And I know a lot of people since his passing have quoted on their social media pages and whatnot that, uh, you know, Charlie fought the devil and won. I also know one other cool legacy of his, and the reason I know this is because of Binge listening to podcasts, which I'll get into. We have a new feature coming later in the show here, Ask Marty, which I actually stole from Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s podcast. I'll get into that later. But I heard Dale Jr. say on his podcast that he had met Charlie and that Charlie gave him the bow from his fiddle that he played, used to play his fiddle the night of the show Dale Jr. went to see. And in listening to Justin Moore's podcast, I'll get into that with Justin in a, in a minute, but I've binge listened to the Justin Moore podcast. You guys should subscribe to that and Juniors. They're both phenomenal. But Justin had Chris Jansen on, another country superstar, and Chris Jansen told the same story. When he met Charlie, Charlie gave him his bow that he used to play that night. And so... I think that's so cool. It must be so cool for those guys to have one of Charlie's authentic bows. And I love, I love the premise and the theme of Charlie's book, Never Look at the Empty Seats, because it's like own what you can own. There might be five people there watching you play that song right now. There might be six people listening to the Marty Smith's America podcast, but you give it everything you got for those six people. Don't worry about the empty seats. Champion the ones that are filled. Because when you start trying to build something, there's a lot of empty seats, man. 
I've heard stories from my best friends that are artists that when you go out and you're playing some 3,500-person honky-tonk out in nowhere, Texas, and there's eight people there, and that includes the wait staff, it is a soul-gutting moment. It makes you question what, you, what the hell you're doing it for. And it makes you question, am I a joke for believing in this? Well, you go out there and you give it every last ounce of everything you got like there's 55,000 people in there, not five people. That's also applicable to life. There's a lot of moments during this life where we wonder, what are we doing it for? Are we doing it right? Are we doing it for the right reasons? There are those empty seats in our lives every day, metaphorically. You have to stick to your convictions, believe in yourself, and be undaunted in that belief. And if you do that, one of the beautiful things about America is that you can go achieve it. I sit right here as proof. You also never know when those five people, who that, those five people are, and that one person in the crowd might be the person that can help catapult you. I heard something, Travis, and, and I don't – Justin is joining us in a few minutes in order to talk about one of his heroes and what it was like that that hero lived up to the hype. And we'll get into that with Justin, but I heard something. Justin on his latest podcast had Granger Smith on. And Granger Smith said something that, that just stopped time for me on that podcast because Granger has taken some heat recently along with Chris Jansen and Chase Rice and some of these guys that made the decision to play shows during the pandemic. They've taken a lot of heat for it from other artists and from people who don't believe they should be doing that. But Granger said something that I was like, wow, that the beauty of music and the beauty of songwriting and the beauty of gathering together is, you know what? Maybe if we're doing this right and there is social distancing during the concert and whatever else, yeah, okay, is there potential for people to get sick? Yes, there is. But I believe in the power of music that maybe there's that one person in the crowd that night who it just might save their life. That's what Granger said. And I was driving down a rural Alabama route from Destin, Florida, through rural Alabama, by Hank Williams' childhood home, by the way, which I stopped to, to just check out and sit on the front porch a minute. I heard Granger say that, and I thought, you know what? I know he's right because I'm one of those guys. Sinners like me saved my life. Any of y'all who know, have read my book, Never Settle, or know a thing about me know that Eric Church's music saved my life. I've been that guy in that crowd, and it's funny because that night that I met Eric, I said those words to him because he was in this era where he was playing the 50p, playing every night, playing his guts out every night. And the same band he has right now was doing it too, right there with him. I said to him when we met, I know you're playing these sewers right now. I know that you're playing these awful venues and I know that you know, and I know that you are so much bigger, quote unquote, than that. But what you have to realize is don't stop. Don't lose what got you here. That unwillingness to pander, that unwillingness to stop and be unyielding in the passion for the work, because I promise you, Every single night in every one of them bars, there's one person in that crowd that desperately needs you tonight. And tonight, that person is me. That's why I believe so strongly in songwriting and in music, in both of them being a vehicle to carry your emotions like nothing else can. So, anyway, uh, I'm getting all fired up here, but... I look forward to talking with Justin about Charlie. 
and what that relationship was like. And before he calls in here in just a minute or two, let's go back to me stopping at Hank Williams' house. So I'm riding out through nowhere, Alabama, on Route 55, and I see one of those Alabama, Georgia, red clay colored signs that lets you know that there's a landmark. And as I get to it, it says it's Hank Williams' home place. So I was like, whoa. So I slam on the brakes and take a ride into this little town, Georgiana, little old one-stop-like town, and it's right off the highway. I mean, it was like two miles, if that, off the highway, mile and a half, right by the Christian church. And it was so cool to see. It looked like my grandma's house. It looked like, like my grand's house. And they had one of those landmark posts in the yard that, that – kind of educated you and had a blurb about it being Hank's home and all those things. And I sat on the porch a minute and just kind of took it in and tried to feel the ghosts. And I thought that was just really neat. It was neat to have that moment and to see that. And there's a, a big caboose, a big train caboose on this adjacent piece of property that has that's painted up and says Hank Williams, home of Hank Williams, Georgiana, Alabama. And across the street, there was either the Hank Williams Fan Center or something like that. I forget what exactly it said, but it was cool, man. I mean, it's still hard for me to wrap my hands around the fact that Hank was only 29 when he died. He was 29 years old and had an entire life yet to live and, a, and wrote all those amazing songs and shaped country music and is the almost quite literally the foundation of country music. And he was only 29 years old and died in the back of a Cadillac in West Virginia. Um, so it was, it was fulfilling for me to have the opportunity to stop there and pay some respects to him and, and be grateful for his influence ultimately on my life because of all the artists that he influenced that have influenced my life and, and that includes the artist who's calling in right now to share his perspective on Charlie Daniels, one of his heroes and great mentors and someone who really shaped his life. And that's my buddy Justin Moore, who has seven number ones on his resume and whose current single, That's Why We Drink, is an absolute monster. And I just think it's one of the most perfect country songs ever uh, because it's funny. Because it's Friday, because it's Monday. Why not? And Travis and I certainly subscribe to that plan. Because it's so, true, too. That, that song is 100% true. That song is 100% true is right. And I'm grateful for his friendship. He is a just a tremendous man, just a great human being, awesome husband, awesome father, and and a great friend to me, a brother to me. So let's bring Justin in. And as promised... My brother, my great friend, Justin Moore, has joined us now because he has perspective on Charlie Daniels that most of us don't. I never had the blessing of getting to meet Charlie. Uh, I was shaped by his music, and Justin was too. And so first of all, brother, I'm so grateful for your time and the perspective that you're willing to give us. And I want to talk about your podcast, too, in just a minute, because I'm the biggest fan that you have. I love the <laughs> thing. But Thank you, buddy. Before we get to that, let, let's discuss C.D. And, and his influence on you. So let's just start with, for those of us who did not have the opportunity to meet him, who was Charlie Daniels? Before I get into that, man, I, I really I hate, for you that you didn't have the opportunity to meet him and, and him you um, because I know you guys would have hit it off and you would have become, if you can even imagine, you would have become an even <laughs> a bigger fan of his. You know, he was a guy who I met, man, it was probably 12-ish years ago, something like that, and it was one of my earlier um appearances on the Grand Ole Opry I don't remember if it was my very first but I know it was early on in my career and a guy who works for my record label to this day still had worked with Charlie in the past and said hey Charlie Daniels is here tonight knowing that I was just a, a you know diehard CDB fan and said 
you, would you like the meeting? I'm obviously, I'm like, well, absolutely, you know? And, <laughs> and so we, we go into one of the dressing rooms backstage at the Opry and Charlie's in there and, and could not have been more kind, more gracious, more like a grandpa than you can imagine. I mean, it was, and I mean that in, in, a, in certainly a positive way. He, so I was nervous as all get out, man. And I, he could sense that. And he said, you good? You know, I said, man, to be honest with you, I said, the only times I ever get nervous to play music are at church and here at the Opry. And I said, otherwise I'm just always stoked. And I'm obviously excited to do it at either of those places, but I just can't calm my nerves down. And he goes, son, if you wouldn't, you ought not be here or at church. He goes, that's because it matters to you. That's what you're supposed to be feeling at those two places. And I was like, wow, that's pretty good perspective, you know? And so I've never forgotten that. And I, and I've told people that story numerous times, none more than over the last, you know, week or so. But, um, you know, after that, Marty, we became, you know, friendly and then became friends, you know, in, um, you know, periodically we would text each other back and forth. I'll give you just a couple more examples of our interactions, and then I'll speak more on the, the, the person that he was and his character and his soul and his heart. But he and I met around the time that I lost my grandfather, and you know how close I was to my grandpa. He almost kind of filled a void there for me, and I don't even – he and I never had, you know, linked lengthy conversations about that and I don't even know that he knew he was doing that for me but he was from you know afar and you know we'd play two or three shows typically a year whether it be a a fair or a festival or something like that and but the story was well known a few years back when I was doing my photo shoot for the late nights and long necks album that I was uh I was on a horse and got bucked off and and uh, then got stepped on by it and he sent me a text like the next day. He said, son, don't you know you're supposed to stay on top of that horse? And then, you know, just, that was kind of his way of checking in on me. You know, I said, yeah, I'm good. You know, I'm healing up. And so, and then it's another just just quick story is <laughs> I texted him. Um, this was about three or four years ago now. I sent him a text because I had seen something come across on Twitter or something where he had been inducted into the Hall of Fame. So I texted him. I'm on a plane going somewhere uh, to a gig. And I said, hey, Mr. Daniels. I always called him Mr. Daniels. He he never wanted me to. He always wanted me to call him Charlie, but I always called him Mr. Daniels, as you, I'm sure, would do the same. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, and I said, I said, congratulations. I just saw this. It's so long overdue blah 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 whatever he says son that happened three years ago today but thank you buddy (laughs) (laughs) and i'm going man what an idiot i am (laughs) Uh, but you know i could go on and on about all these examples of of really cool interactions that we had but um the last one i'll give you i I, you, you mentioned the podcast and i called him or texted him last time i talked to him it was about a month ago and or something like that and and uh said hey i'd love to get you on and he said buddy i'd love to but hazel and i tried that zoom thing hazel being his wife we tried to do it for a family reunion the other day and i i ain't got it figured out yet but if if i if i get it figured out and get my internet strong enough i'd be more than happy to do it because <laughs> we do our interviews via zoom but and, you know, I, I thought about it, and we were trying to get it all kind of figured out to where we could have him, and obviously that didn't happen in time. But I thought, man, that's probably a cooler answer than absolutely let's do it. You know, that's no pro- I, I think I like I think I liked that better. But uh, just to speak on his character and the person that he was a little, a little more specifically, he was exactly what you want your hero to be. You know, you're always – at least I've been told in, early on in this business, and I'm sure that you are too, because you've had the opportunity to meet a lot of your heroes as well, just like me. And you're 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 always told, hey, you know, be be leery or be be careful, or and you, you may not really want to meet your heroes because you may be disappointed. And 
I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to meet and become friends with him. And, you know, he, whether it be having conversations with him or whether it be, you know, reading his books or, or just listening to him in interviews, talk about his faith in God, or, I mean, he made me a better musician and, and, and made me a better Christian alike. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably to be out. No, not probably. I'm more thankful for the latter there than, than any. And, um, he was just as good as gold, man. Good as it gets. He, what you see is what you get. Not a better example of how to carry yourself through life than, than Charlie Daniels, for sure. You're so passionate about our military, as am I. Uh, the, the opportunity to live in a free nation, the greatest nation, despite what we might be going through right now and, and, and it being Agreed. fractured. We still live in the greatest nation in the world. And one Agreed. of the reasons is because we have people who are sacrificing and dodging bullets for us every day. I read that he raised more than a million dollars for our veterans in his charity. How would you describe his passion for the military? Well, second to none is the first thing that comes to mind. There was no more, uh, nobody, I don't think in any uh, genre of music, at least to my knowledge, that, that did more for our, our, our military, uh, both past and present. Nobody, I guess, was... I don't know if outspoken is the right word, but nobody, nobody more willing to talk about it, just like you and I, I know, aspire to do, and and you know, bring it to the forefront because I I think sometimes and probably me included, um, you know, you go through your daily routine and your family and your and your career and all of that, and and I think we it's human nature to sometimes forget or take advantage of or not think about and not honor enough uh, or not show the respect to the level that that maybe we should, um, uh, you know, our appreciation for those men and women that you speak of. And he he was the total opposite of that. I mean, you could look, just go back and look at his, his tweet thread or timeline or whatever you want to call it. I mean, he spoke about them daily. Mm-hmm. daily and um till the day he died and and i mean just a, a, a certainly a great uh example of the patriot that we should all aspire to be in my humble opinion i have a good friend who implored me to read his book never look at the empty never Kids. look at the yeah such a and, great um, and that friend implored me to get the audio version uh but i did not <laughs> Sorry, buddy. I got the book version. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the the beauty of that theme and the beauty of that overarching message resonated with me so deeply that there's going to be a lot of empty seats in your life, metaphorically even, mm-hmm. that it may not, it may look pretty bleak, but you can't be concerned with those empty seats because there might be five people there that night but those five people want everything you got and of those five people i heard granger smith say this on your podcast like when you were talking about him and the criticism that he and and chris jansen and chase rice and all them guys are taking for playing during the pandemic Mm -hmm. there might be that one person in that crowd that it might save their life it might quite literally save them because it's hope it's hope in a song. And mm-hmm. it might be that one thing they need to go, you know what, man, I got this. Yep. And I, can I imagine. One more day. Yeah, I, I can fight. I can fight for one more day. And yep. I'd have to imagine that the devil went down to Georgia and the intensity of that song and the timelessness and the copyright that that song is has had an unbelievable impact on millions upon millions upon millions of people. What's yeah, the impact no of that it. song on you? There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. You know what I love about that song as it relates to Charlie as an artist? If you think about it, and I don't know if that was his biggest record on the radio, I would venture to say it was, but uh, certainly his biggest song. There's no no denying that for sure. But probably what 
top ten country song of all time? Gotta yeah. be, right? I don't think there's any question. And it's it's such a it's not even a country song, dude. It's a multi genre song. Right. It's like a sweet home Alabama. Right. To, to me. But you know what I what I love particularly about that song relating it to his artistry is could you which obviously he wrote the song, but man, it's special to have hit records. But when you pair the the melody, the lyrics, and the perfect artist for those lyrics and that melody together, it's magic. Yeah, it is. And it's 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 hard to do that. It's really, really hard to do that, and that's an understatement. I mean, you know, there's a ton of us who have had hit records, but when you when you get all those lined up perfectly together, it's special and it don't come along very often. It really just doesn't doesn't happen very often. And that to me, he said, you knew when you listened to that song or you watched him play it live, um, you knew who Charlie Daniels was as an artist. Period. You didn't have to guess. And, you know, that's another thing that's tough to do in our industry is is set yourself apart. And when people, when you come on the radio or you're on TV or in an interview or what, to go, oh, that's Justin. Oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, that's Eric. Oh, that's Charlie. But you never guessed with him. Probably. I mean, I can't imagine, or I'd have to imagine that you're like me. I mean, even now, I've probably heard that song 5,000 times in my life. Every single got time, at least. I'm standing up out of my chair yelling, I done told you once, you son of a bitch, I'm the best it's ever been. Every time. <laughs> that's it. Every time. Every time, man. Every time. Yep. That, that's hard to do. I sent you what I had written a piece about him, and we're going to put it out here in the next day or so. And I, I read it on my podcast. It'll be coming up this coming week. And, but I pretty much spoke about his impact, and that right there is impact. Yep. That's, that is impact. When you when you make a mark, when you leave a mark on generations of people, and it could be one line in a song like that, that right there is the definition of making an impact. I hate that you didn't get to have him on your podcast. That would have been just brilliant. The fact that, um, which it, this was in that piece, somebody had sent me, somebody had sent me a video uh, that they had taken on their, their iPhone this was, I don't know, three or four, two or three years ago, something like that. Maybe an artist buddy of mine playing a festival with him and said, hey, I'm buddies with Justin or whatever. And he said, I'll have to send you this so you can see it. I think you'll appreciate it. He goes, well, let me send him a video. And so the guy, who whomever it was, um, might have been a promoter or something even, um, turned his phone on. He said, hey, Justin, uh, I love you, son. I'm proud of you. and to me, that's better than winning any award or having any number one song or, or um, you know, having him on my podcast. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I got a video of Charlie Daniels telling me he loves me and he's proud of me. And so that, that pretty much is as good as it gets for me, man, because he's one of the, I would say, three or four guys who, before I got into this business, I, I looked up to. Because you and I have had this conversation. You know, like, I – I'm, I always wanted to merge Southern rock and traditional country together. And he's the first guy that did that. And, you know, then maybe it was not until Travis Tritt that it was done again, right? And so he was a huge influence on mine from, from a music perspective. And to get, I guess, his nod of approval, if you will. And that's, that's way cooler than ever, you know, having him on the podcast. So. I was going to ask you why, but you just answered why. Uh, it's a it's a very unique sense of validation in this life when that which you aspire to be and the people that you are emulating while trying to create your own path, in your case, your own sound or brand, mm. as it were, when you receive that validation from one of those people who molded that, it's an it's an there's nothing that feels like that. It's almost like your daddy saying, I love you. I it mean, is. it's like, yeah. And, and you know what too, man, with my dad, and I don't know if you were the same way or a guy like 
Charlie, who I looked up to, or my papa, or whatever. You know what made me feel better than I love you? Because I can sense if you love me or not. I know if you love me. You don't really have to tell me. I mean, I certainly welcome that, but you don't have to. It makes me feel better to hear I'm proud of you. Yeah, man, I knew that was coming. That, no question. That kind of says that kind of says it all. You know what I mean? I say all the time so, that <laughs> even now, I, I lost my daddy more than 12 years ago now, and I still live every single day seeking his validation and seeking yep. those words. I'm proud of you, boy. And yep. And I will until the day I die, I'm sure, because that's just something that, you know, I say all the time, if you have any appreciable relationship with your father at all, he's this compass. No matter what your question is, daddy's got an answer. And then if he's not there anymore, then all of a sudden you just go, well, damn, I got to figure this out myself. And that's a very daunting, vulnerable, stripping moment of, of... not even clarity, it's a moment of confusion. But anyway, before I get you out of here, man, I, I've, I appreciate your perspective on Mr. Daniels so much, but I, I do want to let you talk about your podcast because I mean it. I love it. I've listened to every single, all eight episodes so far. I've listened to every second of them. And the interviews are amazing. The the insight into your own personal life and you and Kate and, and everything y'all are managing with all them kids running around everywhere is just awesome. I mean, it's so well done. And I wonder what you've learned about maybe even yourself or or disseminating that vulnerability and telling those things about yourself. What's that been like for you? Well, thank you, first of all. And uh, right back at you, you know how much I I respect and love everything you do and how big of a fan I am of everything you do, including your your podcast. And you and I had a conversation when I had this as a thought bubble. And and I called you. You were one of two or three guys who I called to, you know, kind of get your opinion on whether or not it was a really dumb idea or or the opposite. And so I'm glad that – Glad that I've got your approval also uh, in that sense. But um, it's been fun for me, to be honest with you. You know, I, I'm certainly, and I'm not fishing for compliments here. I do genuinely mean this, and I know you know that. I, I'm I'm certainly not a pro on that side of the mic. You know, I'm used to being on this one, people asking me questions. Um, but I have thoroughly enjoyed it. And you know what? I've... I've learned, to be honest with you, Marty, I've learned that I wasn't a very good listener uh, before all this crap hit and before we started that because I used to go, just like a lot of us do uh, daily, I used to go, hey, Marty, how you doing, buddy? And I wouldn't listen to the answer. It was just a formality. How you doing? The thing that's been really neat about this, uh, this podcast is whether it be Tracy Lawrence or Chris Jansen or Granger or whomever we've had on, uh, Brantley, or even my kids who are going to be on this next podcast, which will be oh, a trip. But, <laughs> yeah. And so um, I listen to the answer because you know, and you there's nobody better at it than you. And you know I mean that because I've told you that 10 years ago. Um I appreciate is, that. If you don't, if you don't listen to the answer, and you just <laughs> you're going, you're going to sound like a dumbass trying to respond to the answer <laughs> that they give you. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's just like, you know what I mean? If you just run down a list of questions, then it, it's it's, you know, we go out and we play festivals, or unless we're on tour with somebody for months. You know, you don't really have necessarily meaningful conversation with people. You know, like you and I, if you come to one of my shows, we hang out for an hour or so on the bus, whether it be before, typically it's after. And that, that's meaningful conversation. But if you just run into somebody backstage, go, oh, how you doing? How's the kids? Blah, 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 and that's it. And it has it's given me the opportunity to really catch up with people. 
and see how are you really doing and handling this and everybody's been honest and that's been cool to see and I don't know I think it's probably strengthened some of my friendships in this business which um you know if I can strengthen any friendship in my life that's that's a positive right so it's been fun for me and it's been you know we started this with the idea hey if it's something that the fans dig that's great if it's not I get it. No big deal. It's just something, you know, I'm always, I'm not on social media. I really am not. I mean, we, we have sites and people post up for me and I approve certainly everything that comes out there, but I'm just not one of those guys who enjoys it, to be honest with you. And so, um, this has allowed us, um, to, to have another way of connecting a little, uh, deeper with, with our audience and, and do something in a little bit more long form because, you know, I mean, usually when I do an interview, it's 15 minutes or, you know, a show is the longest length of time we ever get to spend with an audience. And to have that platform, uh, that stage, if you will, to, to spend more time with them uh, has been fun for me. And, and it seems as though people are enjoying it. So hopefully we can continue to have the opportunity to, to keep doing it. Well, I think it's a monster. Uh, I think it's a great idea, very well executed. And if y'all listening, thank uh, you. If y'all listening are, are, whether you're country music fans or not, if you just like entertaining banter, uh, go subscribe to it. It's the Justin Moore podcast. You can find it on all the podcast platforms. And I just love it, man. I think it's so well done. Well, and well, you know how much that means to me coming from you because I have so much respect for for you, not only as a as a a professional but as a as a person and and i know you'd be straight up honest with me too so thank you very much yes sir uh i appreciate you man so much for taking the time and, and offering us your insight on your on your dear friend we're all very sorry for your loss and um i can't wait to be a guest on the justin moore podcast i'm waiting yeah. on the ring <laughs> <laughs> hey you know you have an open invite and um and i can't wait as well man it's always fun catching up with you and uh appreciate and value your friendship my my man and and uh and stay safe and say hey to the family for me and hopefully we'll get a chance to to play what'd you call it uh uh country music tennis or ping pong yeah man that's uh, what it is it's country music tennis that's what we do you i can't wait it's like bjorn can't borg and jimmy connors man Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I can't wait to do it again, man, and catch up in person. But um, but I appreciate I appreciate you having me on as always, and and uh, and look forward to uh, catching up again soon, my man. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, brother. Have a great day. All right, buddy. You too, man. Thanks. One thing that Justin said there that I want to follow up on is listening. Um, I've said that to him in the past over beers. And, and to, before I get to that, though, he's talking about us playing country music tennis. I call it that because he and I have this, this tradition that every time we're together, we'll sit on his bus after a show or we'll sit there with our families at Disney World or whatever, and we'll get us a bottle of Jack Daniels, and we'll sit there and have some drinks and, and cut up and catch up on life but while we're doing that we play songs back and forth he'll play a 90s hit i'll play a 90s hit he'll play a 90s hit i'll play a 90s hit and we do that until a we're too drunk to continue or b one of us just just drops the mic on the other and i'll never forget being at indianapolis indiana i was there for the brickyard 400 and justin who is on the valerie music label which is a subsidiary or arm whatever they call it of big machine records and big machine is a massive sponsor of the brickyard 400 so justin played a saturday concert in the four in the um on the grounds there at indianapolis motor speedway and it was awesome and i went and i got had a couple too many and sang my tail off and he was laughing at me on stage because i was singing so hard singing every word and that night, we went back to his bus over at the JW Marriott, where it was parked. And we sat on his bus until like 4 o'clock in the morning. I had to work in a few hours. And we sat there, and we drank, and we laughed, and we played tennis. And you know what ended it? What ended it was the song that I told you was your homework, what, a month ago now, maybe? 
Tougher Than the Rest by Chris Ledoux. Justin put yeah. that on. I listened to it. I finished my Jack Daniels drink. I gave him a hug, and I walked the hell out the door because I just I couldn't top it. Yeah, that, play- that song is unstoppable. It's just very rare for me that you find a cover that's better than the original. That like, and and Bruce Springsteen wrote that song, performed it, you know, performed that song, wrote it, wrote it and cut it. And Bruce Boss's version's great, but Ledoux's version is just good. Gosh, it's just if you don't know it, go. That's your homework, team. Go download it. Uh, go to your Spotify and listen to it. Tougher than the rest, Chris Ledoux. So. That's what he's talking about with our country music tennis. And we do it every time. And I just love him. I love him so much, and, and I appreciate his friendship. And he and I, during one of those one of those conversations, were talking about, he was asking me about my job and how I do it and, and how I, he's, I feel like I've evolved. And I told him, I think, where I've evolved the most as a broadcast journalist in the past few years Going back to my book again, I hate to keep bringing it up, but I'm unashamed. My book, Never Settle. Uh, go buy it. I'd appreciate it if you haven't already read it. Uh, I said this in there is when my buddy Dale Jr. said to me, hey, you need to shut up and listen. Well, that is where I've evolved so much in recent years that I've shut my mouth and opened my ears. And what that does is it proves to the interviewee that you're listening and care about what they're saying, that you're not just checking boxes off of a list of questions that's sitting on your knee on a piece of paper. And he was so intrigued by that because he was like, damn, I've been in so many interviews where I know they weren't listening to me. I would say things to see if they were, and I knew they weren't. And so I think it's cool that he's he's feels like he's evolved during his podcast from that perspective because it makes it conversational. It makes it engaging. It proves to that person that you're talking to, like, hey, man, they actually care about what I'm saying. They followed up on that. And honestly, guys, for those of you who are young broadcasters who listen to this podcast, if you listen, I guarantee you the vast majority of the interviews you do moving forward the follow-up question. And it's going to be something as easy as why, how, when. Tom Rinaldi is the king of this. When Tom Rinaldi goes, why? That's going to be the best bite. That's going to be the best sound bite in his interview. And I've learned that that often happens for me now as well. On this podcast, on this platform, this platform's made me a much, much better interviewer. And so I'm just really grateful for him and, and his time and friendship and perspective on Mr. Daniels, influence on him, on music, and as a result on the entire world. Before we get to a new feature that we're going to do that I'm stealing from Dale Jr. So one thing that I've been really intrigued by in all of my travels recently, and I've been all over the place recently recently, Two weekends ago, I drove from Charlotte to Pocono, Pennsylvania to cover the NASCAR race. And so that was about 20 or so hours round trip in a four-day span. And that's a lot of time in the truck. And then on Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, I drove from my house in North Carolina down to Destin, Florida to go fishing with my friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And we had a lot of fun, but again, that's a lot of time in the truck. That was about 21 or so, almost 22 hours round trip, if you include uh, stops to use the facility and whatnot, have some food, get a coffee or five. And I've listened to so many podcasts that I thoroughly enjoy and listen to often, but I don't get to binge listen that way, the way I have in the past couple of weeks here. And one of those is my buddy Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s podcast, the Dale Jr. Download, which is so good, and it gives such an amazing peek into his personality and what inspires him and what he thinks about NASCAR, certainly, and they do great interviews with drivers and owners and personalities in the sport. 
that are so in-depth and, and lengthy and meaty. And one thing that Dale and his staff, Mike Davis and, and Matt Dillner and, and Leah Vaughn and their whole staff, one thing that they do that's really cool is they do like an Ask Junior segment. And as I kind of dove into his podcast and listened to several in a row, I was like, man, I need to do that. I need to, I really enjoyed getting his perspective on what his fans wondered. And so I hit up Travis and I was like, hey, man, go on my Twitter and put out there that we kind of want to get y'all's thoughts and, and what you would like to know. And so we did that. And I think that you told me that it was, uh, that it filled up pretty quickly, correct? Yeah, we got a decent amount of questions. Uh, plenty that you, I could use a, a, the questions from this tweet for a couple weeks in a row if we really wanted to. So really appreciate all the feedback that we got last night. Really do appreciate you guys being so engaged in Marty Smith's America and, and wanting to get our perspectives on things. And this is a situation we're going to do it every week now because I like the, I like it so much as a consumer on Dale Jr.'s and on also on Justin's. Uh, I've been binge listening to Justin's new podcast, which, of course, we discussed with him. He has a very similar thing where fans ask him on social media questions about his life or his career and I just really feel like it's very revealing so I thought it would be fun to do that and and let you guys kind of open up what you would like to get my thoughts on so let's go ahead and and fire away Travis what's question number one and who's it from our first one uh, comes from a, a very loyal listener of this podcast and Marty McGee our boy Dave Scroggins if you were able to retire to anywhere in the world where would you choose to retire Oh, uh, what's Dave's handle? Uh, he's at Dave M. Scroggins. All right, Dave. Uh, we do appreciate him. He is definitely a loyal listener, both to Marty Smith's America and Marty and McGee. Very engaged and and appreciate him very much for for that and his loyalty to us as human beings. Um, if I could retire anywhere in the world, where would it be? Uh at this point in my life, to be honest, if we're back in a normal world, I've come to realize how much I miss live music. And that's something Laney and I just, we love it so much. And so my answer right now would be to purchase a really nice motorhome and go kind of from show to show and see the country that I love so much uh, as, you know, Justin and I were discussing Charlie Daniels earlier and, and, and his just overwhelming appreciation for being an American, which I also, I also carry that same sentiment. And COVID-19, the pandemic, the isolation, the quarantine has reminded Laney and me so much how much of a void live music is right now in our lives. And we've said many times over drinks recently, if we could, we would get an RV or a nice motor home like my boy Wendell's that I still, I'm getting notes every day about that podcast and how funny people thought it was, the RV experience. We would get one. We would chart our courses to go see various American landmarks around shows. That would be my retirement right now. That's what I would do. And I know it sounds weird because it's not a tropical paradise. It's not a mountain paradise. It's not a waterfront paradise. But the live music experience right now is a tremendous void for me because I've realized and been reminded that community where you're all together with your arms around one another living the joy of that energy exchange with the artist or the band or the performers. And what an amazing vehicle that is towards joy. That's my dream retirement scenario right now, and I think Lainey would concur. She's outside with my girls and my dog right now, but I think Lainey would concur that if we had our way, we would love to have a bus and no, you know, no time constraints. And we could go see Eric Church play shows and Kenny Chesney play shows. And we were supposed to see Chris Stapleton two times this summer in New Jersey during our time there. And we're missing that. And go see Justin, of course. 
him and Tracy Lawrence were on tour together before the pandemic hit, and I was supposed to go see them play together. And that's, you know, that's one of my best buddies and a, a guy that was one of those artists that transports me back. Speaking of music, our next question comes from Emily H. Barlow. Who is the most underappreciated 90s country star, in your opinion? Most underappreciated 90s country star. Well, you know, I, I, let me go back to, let me shout out every podcast under the sun. I've been listening to one as well, binge listening, because you know me in songwriting and how I believe it's one of the greatest talents and one I greatly admire and so wish I carried. I write a lot of songs and they are terrible songs, but uh, I admire it so much. And there's a, there's a podcast called And The Writer Is. I've been listening to that a lot and they've interviewed everybody from Shane McAnally, who's probably the biggest songwriter in the country format right now, to Wyclef Jean, to um, Luke Laird, who wrote a lot of Carrie Underwood's hits, wrote a lot of Eric's hits uh, with Eric, on and on. Like, I just am fascinated by the creative process. And so they interviewed our boy, Red Akins. I think about guys like him because... That Ain't My Truck is a copyright right now. Today's young stars, as he said to us on the podcast here, guys like John Pardee or whomever are calling him up in the middle of the night, drunk, singing That Ain't My Truck at the top of their lungs. I think about guys like Daryl Singletary, who uh, had one of the most beautiful voices. I mean, just stunning, stunning voices. I Let Her Lie is one of the greatest songs ever. And uh, he's gone too soon. And so I think about him. I think about Wade Hayes, who was a big star in the 90s. Um, I think about uh, who, who else is underappreciated? Underappreciated. Um, that's a good underappreciated. By the way, y'all. Uh, I'm put on the spot on these. I don't know the questions ahead of time. That's part of Travis and my agreement. Travis picks them and he asks them. So I would say those guys, uh, I would love to hear y'all's thoughts about it when you hear this, uh, who you believe the most underappreciated 90s talents are, 90s artists are. I'm struggling. I think that's that's all I got in me right now. All right, so we'll take it over to NASCAR since that's kind of been your life lately. Favorite NASCAR paint scheme of all time? Favorite NASCAR paint scheme of all time for me is very simple. It is Davey Allison's original Texaco Haviland paint scheme for uh, Robert Yates Racing. And, and of course, he started with Harry Rainier, but uh, it was the uh, all-white front, black back, gold and red striped middle, Texaco Haviland number 28 Ford Thunderbird is the most beautiful race car of all time for my money. It had chrome rims. It was just the most beautiful race car I've ever seen. And the way that it sat close to the ground and the way that it looked when it was racing door to door with somebody else, whether that was Dale Earnhardt or whomever, uh, Bill Elliott, back in those days. Uh, that thing was the most beautiful car I've ever seen, and it's been tried. Other drivers, in uh, out of homage to Davey, have tried to recreate that paint scheme on their cars at times. And it's really cool when that happens. My buddy Kevin Hamlin, who is uh, Alex Bowman's spotter now, and if you don't know what a spotter is, if you're not a NASCAR person, He's the eye in the sky who, who sits way up, up stands, way up above top, the top of the racetrack, up above the grandstands, and helps that race car driver understand what's going on around, in front of, and, uh, and behind him or her. And so Kevin is a former driver. And Kevin was what's called a developmental driver many moons ago. And he ran the, a number 42 paint scheme that was just like that Davy car. And it's... It was beautiful. No question in my mind that it was that paint scheme. All right, we're going to keep it into NASCAR. This one comes from Brian Schaff. 
If you got to pick one historical NASCAR race to ride shotgun with any driver, past or present, which race and driver would you pick? Oh my goodness! Uh, my 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 initial impulse reaction is one hot night, the 1992 Winston, when Davy Allison won the race backwards and was never went to victory lane. He was airlifted out of there. Him and Kyle Petty. It's it, it's it's one of my two favorite races of all time. Um, that's my impulse reaction. Uh, but I think the answer is probably Dale Earnhardt Jr. 2001 Pepsi 400 when NASCAR went back to Daytona International Speedway after his the, the first race back after his father died in the final corner of the final lap of the 2001 Daytona 500. And the reason is because that's one of those moments in my career where brotherhood intersected the job. And to know what that meant to him and to know what that meant to the sport and to know what that meant to to know what a big story that was that the namesake of Superman who was John Wayne and Elvis and Wyatt Earp and all, all wrapped up into one badass had died. Superman doesn't die. And and when Dale died, it was such a crushing, crushing emotional moment. And it was NASCAR's darkest hour. And I say all the time about Junior that one of his greatest contributions to the sport itself is after Dale died, Dale Jr. put the sport on his back and carried it. Every single person involved in the industry, NASCAR's executive staff, all the officials, all the other drivers, teams, team owners, media, everybody looked at one man to know whether it was okay to race again, and that man was Dale Earnhardt Jr. And Jr. raced, so we all raced. And so for him to come back to the place where his father died, a place that he holds so dearly in his heart and soul, just jump from seventh to first to win that race like that and to see the joy in his reaction in the aftermath of that win was just it's just something I will carry with me for the rest of my life and man would I love to have been in that car with him that night in that moment uh and live that I lived it I lived it certainly but I lived it in my own way and I was so proud of him that night I was so proud of the person that was able to manage to, uh, what he managed in that moment. And our final question, this should be no surprise when I, we do our first round of questions. This one comes in from JL Smith 7226 What hair products do you use? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, well, recently I've been wearing hats and bandanas so much, I haven't been using a whole lot of hair product, but... I use something called American Crew Forming Cream. It's like fancy pants hair goo, and it costs like 25 bucks or something. And it comes in this little disc, and it's this just white goo that you throw in your hair. And, you know, people think I spend all this time on my hair. I don't. I just scoop some of that goo put it in my hand, throw it in my hair, and I leave. Speaking of your hair, though, Marty, i got to give Lainey credit during this quarantine. The job that she's in, I know you do some of it, but she gets the top and cuts, you know, trims and everything. To keep it TV-worthy, uh, our captain uh, has done a wonderful job picking up another job uh, during this quarantine as your hairstylist. Yeah, she's done a really good job, a phenomenal job. She bought a barber kit off of the Internet somewhere. Here's our operating procedure. And I need a professional haircut so bad right now. Like, so bad. But I do all of the trimmer work. I do all of the buzzing around the sides and back myself in the mirror. And I do all the blending 
with my uh, top hair. And then she takes scissors and uh, comb, and then she, in her barber kit she got, there's those uh, those thinners. You know those hair thinners? Um, yeah. And, and so she'll thin out my hair, and that helps blend it too. So she's done a phenomenal job of getting my hair TV worthy, but I think I think she and I both agree that it, it's definitely time for me to go back and see my barber in a bad way. So whenever I decide I'm going to go back to my barber again, um, I don't know, man. I I don't know what to make of COVID, Travis. I can't I can't figure it out. I can't. I, you ride like I, this crazy I'm, emotional roller coaster with this thing. Well, and then yes, and then I mean, yesterday Ohio State pauses all voluntary workouts, and so like I'm on this, you know, up and down. Are we gonna have sports? Are we not? And then all of a sudden, you know, my team's putting a hold on practice, and it's just like a down. I I honestly don't know if we're gonna have college football. And that's heartbreaking, you know, for us too. All right, let's go back to what I said a minute ago about the emotion of music. It's the same thing with college football. It's the exact same thing. Because down here in the south where I live, whether that's the Southeastern Conference teams, whether you're Roll Tide, War Eagle, Go Tigers, what Anchor Down, whatever you are in the SEC, you use that football team as an emotional outlet, an emotional vehicle, a community where you're pulling in the same direction with your brothers and sisters in that energy. And I am in this sort of fog of naivety that I've not let myself get there yet. I've not let myself get to a place where I'm like, man, there might not be football. I still... On July 9th, what is today, the 9th? It's the 9th. I sit here on July 9th, 2020, and I still believe we're going to play football. And one of the reasons that I feel strongly about it still, and honestly, it's a prayer of mine. I am so hopeful that we're playing college football in a couple of months. I feel that way on a lot of levels. And... And one of the reasons that I believe there's still hope is quite simply the financial impact. These universities need college football. And so you can sit there and you can go, well, what about all the revenue they're losing at the gate if there's no fans? That's a very fair rebuttal. But television dollars are vital for these programs. And so... My hope and my prayer is that there's something worked out where maybe at Ohio State, uh, the shoe holds 100,000 people. Maybe we can get that 20,000 in there that, that Gene Smith discussed a couple months ago or last month or whenever that timeline was. Maybe at Bryant-Denny and in Death Valley, both Death Valleys at Clemson and at LSU, we can get uh, a dozen or 15,000 or 20,000. Is it the same experience? Of course not. But I would love to figure out some way to do it. And obviously, the number one priority is player health. That's the number one priority, period. But my hope is that somehow it happens. And you're right about the emotional thing because, you know, for Ohio State fans, when they do well, your, your life is just better whether that's right or wrong that your life kind of revolves around sports that's just how it is you know with Ohio State and you know with other football programs and so you know it's a big part of people's lives you know for right or wrong that's what it is think about it man in Alabama so many people that live were born and raised in that state they are either roll tide or war eagle and that is an identity okay that is Part of your identity. If you grew up in the state of Ohio, you are Go Bucks. That is part of your identity. Whether you move to Charlotte, North Carolina, Bristol, Connecticut, Los Angeles, California, Spokane, Washington, or Miami, Florida, if you grew up loving Ohio State, you die 
loving Ohio State. And that's how it is. I mean, of course you have your your exceptions to the rule where maybe there's a five-star recruit who ends up going to Michigan. It's happened before. But for the most part, the overwhelming part, it's an identity in these college towns because think about places like Blacksburg and Tuscaloosa in Morgantown, West Virginia. That's the pro team. Clemson, South Carolina. Those Tigers are the pro team. Columbia, South Carolina. The Cox are the pro team. It's an identity. And it's something that those entire regions carry as a badge of pride and and it unifies and it's fun to have rivalries against whomever the team is that you hate. So yes, it will be an emotional void that I hope we avoid. But again, it's just impossible because it's a it's a an unprecedented opponent to use the word of the month. So we're going to continue to hope that there's college football. Uh, Travis wants it. I want it. You want it. Everybody wants it. And I still have faith, uh, no matter how naive that might be. I don't know. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen. Thanks so much to Justin Moore, my brother, my great friend, for offering his amazing perspective on Charlie Daniels. Um, We're going to miss Charlie and his convictions and how much he loved this country and how much he loved our military. Thank you so much to our law enforcement officials all over this country who are working so hard every day to keep our community safe. I'm so grateful for our first responders, our firemen. Thank you so much to our garbage collection workers, our funeral home staffs, our grocery store workers, everybody who's busting their hump to make sure that this country keeps turning in such a difficult time. And thank you so much to our military. I'm grateful to every one of you who have served our country and keep us free. And I am so, so damn grateful to be free. It's a difficult time in a lot of ways, but we live in the greatest nation. Let's do our very best to remain unified together and continue to forge ahead in a positive, progressive, kind, unified fashion. Thank you all for listening. This is Marty Smith's America. We appreciate you. Have an awesome week.